This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable. Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely and control vehicle at all times. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the result, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. So the only thing left to say is, you in? Order now on the McDonald's app, and you can also get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants, 18 plus. Rewards registration required, points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Well, hello and welcome to Albion Analysis with me, Chris Hall, and him, Pete George. Well, after everyone bemoaning the away form and saying that is what's going to cost us playoffs, we go and win two away games on the spin, only to then go and lose our first game at home in six months. Albion that. I mean, that is just typical Albion isn't it, Pete? You know, you, uh, you 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 think that the away form is what's going to cost you. You get back to back aways, and then Sunderland come to the Hawthorns, and they mess everything up for you. Just about right, isn't it? Um, as you say, I think everyone was thinking the away form is what was going to cost us in the race for the playoffs. But getting three points against Sunderland would have been huge, and it would have put us put us into fifth with a game in hand on most of the teams around us. So yeah, as I say, that would have been a massive result if we could have got the win. Um, but I suppose the the promising thing is that it is still in our hands if we win our remaining games and we definitely will end up in the playoffs. So at least we're not waiting on the results of other teams around us. Yeah, I mean, it, it, now the focus switches to Wednesday, doesn't it? That, that's that's the reality of the situation. I mean, I said before before the game on Twitter, uh, I said it was important to not overreact whatever the result was a, against Sunderland. I stand by that. Look, the, the the fact is that of the two games, Sunderland at home or Sheffield United away, the easier one to win is the one we've lost. Now, we have to win the other one. We have to win the other one to have our, our fate in our own hands. That's how it is. So we have to go to Sheffield United and win if we are going to retain power over our own fate in this in this race for the playoffs. It's an extremely difficult thing to do and nobody denies that. But until we have played that game on Wednesday and until the result has gone against us, if indeed it does go against us, our fate remains in our own hands. And I think it's important to say that because we have been written off too many times this season. A lot of the time by, I mean, I think we thought it was done a few times, Pete. I think a lot of the fans have thought it's done. And I think if anything, the last few weeks has taught us a little bit of caution in making big, bold statements about, oh, this is done, this is done. Because the reality is anyone can go anywhere and lose points in this division. I, you know, I didn't have Millwall losing to Wigan yesterday. I absolutely did not. And, you know, Blackburn-Preston drawing was the... I didn't have Blackburn <laughs> conceding in the 95th minute two games on the spin to drop four points. You know, it, 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 some of the stuff that's happened has been has been unbelievable. We were one of the favourites before the Sunderland game to make the playoffs. I think uh, most people probably looked at it and said Albion and Coventry are probably in the strongest position of anybody. I don't think you can say that anymore. I think um, I think whilst our fate remains in our own hands, I don't think 
given that the games that we have to play, Sheffield United away, Norwich at home, and a highly informed Swansea away on the final day, I don't think you can suggest for one second that we are one of the... the, the, There's two places up for grabs in the playoffs in reality. I don't think we're we're one of the two most likely teams to take those those spots. I think you'd probably look at it and say Sunderland and Coventry are the most likely at this moment in time because I you know I think Blackburn have got an extremely difficult game in midweek given that Burnley are their bitter rivals and Burnley can go to Ewood Park and win the win the title there which would obviously be absolutely absolutely massive. Um but yeah, I I I I don't know Pete, I just I just look at it now and say we still have a chance and we still have a decent chance but if I was ranking the playoff teams in terms of likelihood of making it I would definitely have us behind Sunderland and Coventry and quite possibly I'd have us behind Blackburn as well yeah possibly um yeah I mean personally I'm just I'm staying positive I'm, it's in our hands if we can win our last remaining three games then we'll be that be in the playoff spots so that's kind of how I'm looking at it um but then I suppose the other aspect is teams above us will well they'll most likely drop points between now and the end of the season and I think there's still a game to be played between two of them I can't remember who it well, is Well Millwall play Blackburn on the final day Yeah that was it then so there's obviously going to be points dropped there as well for certain from somebody so yeah I think well as I said three wins and and we're there for sure but it might might even be less that we need come the end of the season but I'd rather not Kind of wait and find out. I'd rather just, you know, just win win the last three. And I don't think we, I don't think we can lose another one, Pete, and make the playoffs. Do you? I don't think sixty nine um, will do it. Probably not. No, looking at the the other points tallies, Coventry currently on sixty six with two to play, Sunderland sixty five with two to play, Millwall sixty five with two to play, and then Blackburn sixty five but with three to play. So, if we were just to win, um, if we were to lose one. And when the other two, that puts on 69. So it's, it's yeah, that would, I think that would be extremely tight. We've got one of the better goal differences up there. It's, again, that's very tight. Um, so it's, yeah, the best way to do it is, is obviously just to win all three and, and be sure of it. But it's going to be a very tough task to to get a win um, against Sheffield United. And as you say, Swansea are, are very in form at the minute and playing some really nice football. So that could be a, a difficult task on the last day of the season. Well, that's the bigger picture, but let's look at what happened against Sunderland, Pete. And yet again, yet again, um, for the third game in a row, Albion dropped points. Sorry, the third game in a row in which we've dropped points, we dropped points from a winning position. In fact, it might be the fourth game in in, in a row. I can't remember which was first, Cardiff or Hull. But anyway, three games against... Rotherham, QPR, and now Sunderland. We lead in and we drop points. It's very un Carlos Corbran like Pete. I mean that that is that was one of our strengths up until recently. Was one, once we went ahead, you really did back us in games to go on and win them. You think back to the Coventry game, Huddersfield, Wigan, all all these games where we we got our noses in front and we we didn't give teams a sniff. Even in some of the more ding dong games, we talked about it before, where we went away to Luton and once we got three two up, we just shut the game down. We just don't seem to have that in us at the moment. I, I'm, I'm sure the injury to Daro Shea has has been a factor. I think today, and we'll come on to talk about individuals in a bit, but I thought. Okay, Yacoslu just tired terribly, terribly towards the end of that game. I mean, do we do we not have the same personnel to do it? Does a Jai for O'Shea really prevent that? Um, or you know, does Yacoslu's fatigue in today's game prevent that? Or maybe is it just a little bit bit of lack of belief? Or Pete, is it just a bit of variance working itself out? Because I think when you, especially when you look at the XG in all those games, in all those clean sheets that we kept, we were probably somewhat fortunate to to do so at such an incredible rate. And maybe this is just a bit of variance working itself out. Well, I always felt against Sunderland that we were going to need 
um, another goal. It just never felt like the game had settled into a kind of rhythm where we could just continue it and just yeah, just see the game out at 1-0. It always felt like something we're going to score, and that's probably not helped by the quality that they have in attack. Obviously, um, Jack Clark is a very good player, despite his uh, throwing himself to the floor, and as is Ahmad Diallo. So they always look dangerous, and we, we did quite often seem to be short at the back because we were throwing men forward. A couple of times we got a bit isolated um, in defence. You know, there was the one time they kind of uh, underweighted a pass out to Diallo, I think, on the counter-attack, and luckily Ajay was able to step in and win it. Otherwise, we could have been in a bit of trouble there. But I think it's I think today we're coming up against a, a good attack. Um, but in, in general, I think we obviously are lacking, uh, missing players that are out injured like O'Shea. I think that's also impacting kind of the options that we've got on the bench. We've just spoken about it off air and it's when you look at the bench in recent games it's been fairly uninspiring. Um and those injuries have have kind of caused that because players that would be on the bench that have been good options are, are forced to start and yeah, we're not we're not able to freshen it up when we need to and that's probably impacting us being able to hold on to leads a little bit. Well, it's something that Corbran was asked about after the game. I see Joe Chapman's just put a very good piece out about it. As he asked the question of Corbran, why there was just a flurry of substitutions so late in the game from Albion, but non non earlier on. And Corbran's reasoning is that, and this is, I'm going to paraphrase what he said, but but the gist of what he said is that you you change players when you see that their level is dropping off. That's not what I saw today. I didn't see the levels dropping off. And he also said we had a quite specific game plan to press them, and he didn't feel like the players who were on the bench were equipped to do that. Now, I do think that Sunderland changed the game with their substitutions. Between half-time and... Sunderland's first substitution, uh, the double sub on 68 minutes, we had 10 shots to their three. We were really having a good go at it at the start of that second half. After that substitution on 68, between that and them getting the the goal, um, they had three shots to our one. So bringing on Michu and Roberts, and then a little later on bringing on Pritchard, undoubtedly changed the game. It changed the the course of the game. Now, I have a lot of sympathy for Carlos Corbran because he did not have those same kind of options. I think Patrick Roberts is, from my days at the FA, he's, he's, he's a lad that I actually know a little bit, and he's, he's a top lad, and he's a good, good player. He's just had a bit of a difficult career route. You know, he went to Manchester City very young, never really got any opportunities there, but he is a quality, quality footballer. Bringing him off the bench is, is fantastic. Um, Michu, uh, I, I believe, is on loan from Paris Saint-Germain. That tells you everything that you need to know. And Alex Pritchard, a lad who, okay, didn't get a didn't get much of a sniff at Albion um, because uh, Tony Pulis didn't bother to check his height before he brought him in. But everything we've seen of Alex Pritchard at other clubs, I think has, uh, has shown you that he's a very, very good player, particularly at this level. You know, he had, he had a bit of a big money move to, I think it was Huddersfield when they were in the Premier League and he, he maybe didn't quite live up to the standards required to be a Premier League footballer. And he, he But he's gone on to Norwich and Sunderland and I think he's done very, very well, um, particularly since he's been at, been at Sunderland. Norwich fans might tell me he wasn't, wasn't all that there, but at Sunderland, I thought he was outstanding for them last season. He's continued to be so this season. So they're bringing good attacking players off the bench and we just don't have those options you look at you look at our our options off the bench and you're looking at and I don't mean any disrespect to these players but Fahl who obviously was on loan at Fylde only a few months ago Jake Livermore who first of all is not an attacking option and secondly I think we all accept that in the way that Corbran wants to play that Jake Livermore's best days are behind him and that he probably doesn't add a great deal to to our setup Rogic, who probably the last time he actually had a good game was away at Sunderland. He's been incredibly disappointing, as has Albrighton. I mean, they should be two good options for us off the bench. But the reality is they've been two extremely underwhelming signings. 
And then Bartley, and and, and Bartley's a good player, but he's but you know centre halves aren't going to change a game for you, um, especially when they've made changes like Mitchu, Roberts, and Pritchard to go on clearly with the the idea of going on and winning the game because as much as that was a big game for us today. If Sunderland hadn't won, they'd pretty much be dead in the water in terms of any playoff hopes. So Tony Mowbray definitely twisted in order to see if he could win the game. He had the options off the bench to go and do that. And I think, I think he, he didn't, he changed the game with his substitutions because I think until he made those substitutions, for me, there was only one team going to win that game and it wasn't Sunderland. But after he's made those changes, we couldn't respond in any real way. We'll come to Taylor Gardner-Hickman in just a second because he's the one that I think could have been brought on much earlier. And we'll come back to Carlos Corbrand's comments. But the the wider picture, Pete, is that we just don't have... You know, you're looking at a team that, that came out of League One last season and they've got better offensive weapons off the bench than we do. And that is... It's sad and it's worrying. And it, to be honest, whilst obviously it, part, a big part of the problem is the ownership because they it, we were promised five million quid back in uh, in January. We didn't get it. That was going to be a big, uh, a big boost to our, our, our opportunity to bring in players in January. But the reality of the situation, what's really cost us is injuries. Because if you had DK, Diangana, Phillips, even Reach, available and Chalaber to a certain extent as well you've got you've got weapons off the bench you've got attacking options that you can throw on and have a go at a team but we're just we we are we we're being denied such a plethora and even Cleary's got blooming injured even 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 our 18 year old guy who hasn't actually done anything at a senior level yet but we've all got so much hope for we can't even call upon him because he's got injured in, in an academy game and now he can't even play. I mean, we're just without any real attacking options off the subs bench, are we? Yeah, and as you say, that's obviously a real issue for when you want to change a game and maybe take a different approach. I think I do tend to agree with um, Coburn's comments that you, you read out there. We were really trying to press them and we looked at our best when we were actually pressing them and, and winning the ball back high. That's where most of our chances came from and obviously where the penalty came from was us winning the ball back out of the pitch and, and going from there. So I think that was, I think the game plan was really, really well thought out and a really good game plan. Um, but we just didn't create enough chances from it. Um, and I think, as you say, Yukujalu did look like he was tiring just before he was brought off and maybe we could have changed it then. And you made the point off air that it's, it's very hard to to press teams really aggressively when you've got three, your three central midfielders on yellow cards. Yeah, so I mean that, that's that's kind of my counterpoint to this, Pete. I, I look, you know, um, I appreciate what what you're saying, but I, I do think I do think you made a mistake um, because I, when you're pressing high by by early in the second half, we had Malumbi, Yakoslu, and Swift all on yellows. Yakoslu didn't make a single tackle. After the uh, after the yellow card was dished out to him on 37 minutes, which tells me that 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 he was probably scared of putting his foot in. Fair play to Malumbi; he went about his business completely unabated by the yellow card. And I think I think what you're seeing through Malumbi is a real maturity that he can cope with those situations this season where he probably couldn't last season. But even Swift is a player that you do want to be able to, if if he has to trip somebody, because we were trying to press them, they're playing out from the back. If he has to trip somebody, then he has to trip somebody. But he was denied the chance to do that. And and I have to say, I would have, I, I probably would have brought Yakoslu off earlier, not least because he looked shattered from about sort of 70, 75 minutes in. I'm, I'm, I imagine he was probably playing with a pain-killing injection anyway. And as with anything like that, it was probably wearing off at that point. I personally think, Pete, because he also made comments in his post-match press conference about how Sunderland were a small side. I think Yukoslu stayed on the pitch. He, Whilst he's talked about the pressing and the levels and everything like that, I think Yukoslu stayed on the pitch because of his height. And no other reason. I think that's why he stayed on as long as he did. Yeah, that might be a factor in it. And in that respect, you can't really blame him because he's off, he's probably our best 
if not our best, then one of our best um, players in the air that was on the pitch. So in terms of threat from set pieces, it's it's going to help to have him in the box. In hindsight, we can say that he didn't really have that much of an impact from the set pieces, but you're better having him on the pitch and in there than, than not. So that's, yeah, it's probably an aspect. And I'd say if you're going to bring one of the two central midfielders off a bit earlier, then Yukushu probably would have been the one to, to bring off. But as you say, the height factor probably played a role in delaying the substitution. Um, I think we we did see that, obviously, Yukushu and Molumbi, they pressed really well, kind of read the play and forced Sunderland into mistakes. Um and yeah, they probably do it more intelligently than we would have done if Taylor Gardner Hitman was on the pitch. So it's point about that I can kind of understand, but I yeah, definitely see the, the counter arguments of players being on yellow cards and Yakuzla looking like he was tiring. So it's yeah, obviously a difficult decision for him to, to make and I mean in the end it, it probably didn't play, pay off because Taylor Gardner Hitman came on and, and he did look very promising. The other thing that Corbrand said in his post-match press conference was that the game was won and lost in the difference between how the two teams played in in the opposition penalty era, which seems like a very obvious thing to say. But I think the point that he's trying to make to just expand a little bit on what Corbrand's saying is that we didn't play a worse game than than Sunderland. We didn't have a worse, and he actually outrightly said that uh, that he didn't think our tactical approach was in any way contributing to the fact that we lost the game. And I tend to, I tend to agree with that. I tend to agree with that. I think there's a couple of things to look at. I mean, first of all, we had 19 shots in that game. Nine of those shots were blocked. Sunderland, the way they put bodies on the line in their own penalty area, I thought was phenomenal. I think when you're going for a playoff place and, you know, you are almost in the last chance saloon, that kind of that level of commitment is what you need to see from your players, and I thought we were. I th- I thought we we were, you know, they, they they just threw everything in the way of everything we threw at them, and we did throw a lot at them at times in the game. I also think we weren't clinical enough. I mean, Connor Townsend has missed an enormous chance with that header, which I don't even know how he heads it. I mean, he heads it so wrong that it actually turns into a pass. But he's he's got a score there. I think I thought there was one where um, where Grant in the end had a shot blocked, and I thought there was an opportunity for him to hit it without taking a touch. I thought by taking a touch, he, he actually allowed the Sunderland player to get on top of him and get and get the block in. And on the other side of it, Pete, I think you've got to say they've scored two unbelievable goals. We can we can sit here and try and pick the bones out of them for the, from an Albion point of view. I think Semi Ajayi gives the ball away early on in the move for uh, for one of them. You could you could say for the for the for the header maybe we you should stop the cross. Do they play through us too easily for the second? But I think you've just I think sometimes you've got to give credit where credit is due, and I think it's due to Sunderland for those two goals. I think they're I think they're two fantastic goals and I think when you look at how clinical they are I mean the header is from it's from it's really difficult to plant that in the top corner from there that's an unbelievable finish and then the other one I mean even when the ball comes back to him he's got a lot to do to stab that beyond Palmer I mean the intricacy of the play alone but the finish is just phenomenal I think I think you've just I think Corbran has nailed it really in that we had more than enough opportunities to have scored more goals than Sunderland, but we weren't clinical enough. Plus Sunderland's defending was very, very committed. And I think that Sunderland have just scored two absolutely fantastic goals. As you say, the the two goals that Sunderland scored were both very, very good goals. Um, Every goal's stoppable if you break it down enough. But yeah, they were both fantastic goals. Um, I mean, they had a bit of fortune on the second one. I think it took took a deflection off Eric Peters trying to block the shot and it kind of flew up above Palmer. I'm not sure where the initial shot would have ended up if it hadn't taken that touch, but I think it made it a lot more difficult for Palmer. He did make a very good save in the first half, um, by the way. And yeah, we. I mean, we had that flurry of shots there was about five of them and we just yeah we couldn't seem to to get it past all the bodies that were back and to block it um 
and I think Tom Santi blocked one of the shots, so we're even helping them out there. But I th- as you said, I think we were a bit we we're a bit slow at times to get the shots off. There was a couple of times where it felt like we we needed to get a shot off, and we kind of waited or or set somebody else for the shot, and it just yeah, if we'd been a bit a bit more ruthless in the box, then it could have been a different result. There was the one that. Brandon Thomas Santa used his body fantastically when the ball was played into him, but he just kind of, I think he tried to turn again once he'd already rolled his man, whereas he probably should have just been trying to trying to get a shot off after he'd got that, that yard of space to, to do it. Um, and that was kind of the story throughout that players were... Yeah, I didn't understand what he was doing there. It's like, I mean, just surely you just, you just fire... There, you just shoot. Do you th- do you think that's that that's a bit of a, a lack of uh, lack of confidence from from Brandon? I saw a, a statistic from from someone that um, that, that Brandon's not actually scored uh, scored a goal for us um, against uh, against the team. I think it's in the in the top ten or something something like that. So, I mean, if you I don't know whether he's aware of that, but maybe he's, he's aware that his goal scoring record isn't quite what he'd like it to be. Yeah, I'd be, I'd be surprised if he was aware of that. I don't think he'd be too worried about who he's coming up against because he's still, well, he would have had a chance there if he'd taken the shot. Obviously, he didn't take the shot, so it won't go down as a as a chance. Um, but he tends to get plenty of chances. He was a bit quiet today um, and didn't have, I think you mentioned to me off air that he didn't have a single shot against Sunderland. So, yeah, as well, a bit quiet, but I'd be surprised if it was him worrying about who he's playing against. Maybe I, well, I can't really say he's out of form either because he he got a goal against Blackpool in the game before. So yeah, maybe it's just yeah, maybe he just overthought it and, and didn't feel confident shooting from there. Um, I don't really know, but I think if he watched it back, he'd be asking asking himself why he didn't just pull the trigger a bit early and just get a shot, get a shot off, and see what happens. Yeah, and I, I mean, I do think just to focus on Brandon a little bit that you know, look, everybody loves Brandon. He's he he comes across as a really really great guy, and um, and he he's you know he's been brilliant for us since we came in. More than value for money, I think he's going to turn out to be an absolute bargain signing for for the baggies. But there is an awful lot of pressure on him now that DK's out injured. He has got to lead the line for. I mean, look, we we hope it's more than the next three games but I mean minimum the next three games basically our hopes of getting into the playoffs do to a certain extent rest on his shoulders because goals win games and your striker is the one who should score goals and it's something of a concern that he's played 95 minutes today he's played the whole match and he's not scored sorry he's not had a shot on or off target I mean, we have got a real danger with Brandon because we saw this with DK um, when he obviously had to be hooked against Cardiff when he had to play every 90 minutes after Brandon had picked up his injury. That Brandon's obviously, he played the full game against um, against Stoke. He's played the full game against Blackpool. He's played the full game again against Sund- Sunderland today. And the chances are he's going to have to play the full game against Sheffield United, the full game against Norwich and the full game against Swansea, unless we went sort of like two, three goals up in, in one of those matches. There is a real danger of fatigue with Brandon, isn't there? Yeah, there is. Um, and hopefully it's not just another injury waiting to happen because he's getting playing a lot of minutes at the minute. At the minute, playing a lot of minutes, um, and he, yeah, he plays at high intensities. Probably covers a lot of ground with sprints, which um, is obviously more probably puts him at a higher risk um, than a player that spends most of his time just kind of jogging around. Um, and he's a very physical player, but we don't really have any, any other options at the at the minute. DK out injured, um, and not much cover on the left wing. Otherwise, you might be able to try Grant up front but there's no one then to replace Grant so it's kind of a case of Brandon Thomas Santa is, is going to have to play the games and, and he's going to be playing 90 minutes or close to 90 minutes in all the games and in an ideal world we score, score three in the first half against Sheffield United and, and can maybe take him off and rest him for the second half but I wake up Pete far-fetched. wake up <laughs> you, you're dreaming mate you're dreaming <laughs> exactly but we, we do need kind of one of those games where we can we can get to a point where we can Forward to rest players and be in a comfortable position, but with the running that we've got, I'd if only we had to play Spurs. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We'd have had Thomas Sante off after 
after 20 minutes. But yeah, he's, it, it just seems like he's going to have to going to have to play the vast majority of the remaining three games. Um, and well, yeah, we don't really have any other options up front, so we just got to pray that he doesn't get added to our a long list of players that are injured. We'll go to a short break now, but after the break, we'll have a look at some more individual performances. Join us then. And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable. Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely and control vehicle at all times. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home, especially with Albion's home record under Carlos Corbran. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximise your home ground advantage with McDelivery. You in? Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Hello and welcome back to Albion Analysis. Well, in the first half, we, we largely looked at the broader picture of the of the game and started to look at some individual performances, talking about Brandon Thomas Asante. But I want to drill down into a few more of those, Pete. And before we get started on other players that we want to talk about. I want to talk about one other individual performance and that's uh, the the performance of the officials. I have to say, I thought it was a very strange performance from, from the referee today. I'm not for one second saying, as I've said, I have said in other games this season that the referee has cost us. Um, Huddersfield away, Millwall at home to, to name but two. I don't think that was the case today. I don't think he necessarily made life any easier though and he was deeply inconsistent we mentioned before about how we ended up with three center mids on uh, on bookings swift wallace and uh, swift yukoslu and malumbi i mean i know you and i are on a slightly different page with with malumbi's it i for me it's just a really good tackle i don't think it's a yellow in a million years that's i don't even think it's a foul let alone a yellow the Yukoslu one is the most stonewall yellow you're ever going to see. And I think he was crazy to do that so early on in the game because I didn't think there was actually, he, we were in that much trouble if he'd let the player go. And the Swift one, I don't see that he has to dish it out at all. It's Swift's first challenge in the game. It's not a particularly bad one. And when you look at some of the other fouls that they, that they did, which were as bad, if not worse than, than the ones that our players got booked for and how long it actually took him to dish out a yellow card to a Sunderland player. I, I, I just thought it was I thought it was just deeply, deeply inconsistent, Pete. I really did. You know, I, 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 and I thought there was some other things. It was 70 minutes, the first yellow card to a Sunderland player, which was Joe, Joe Gelhart. Then he went on a little run of uh, booking, uh, booking three Sunderland players in 12 minutes after having not booked one for 70 minutes. But... I thought he restricted us in terms of booking those three centre mids and two of them I didn't think he needed to didn't need to book but also penalty shouts now first thing to say I don't think our penalty probably was a penalty I uh, I think I can you, it comes into the scene and given category but I think it's soft but there was there was a couple that were way more penalties than that there was where Luke O'Neill throws Brandon, Asante, uh, Brandon Thomas Asante off the pitch into the advertising boards. I know that never gets given, but I do not for the life of me understand why. I mean, it's it's blatantly a foul. He's trying to shove him off the pitch so he can't get to the ball. Just because he gets a toe to it, pokes it back for Wallace to get the shot in and the keeper makes a decent save, doesn't make it any less a penalty in in my book it's like it's like being taken out after you get a shot away if 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 you get a shot away and the keeper palms it around the post and the guy a, a moment after you've taken the shot nails you it's still a penalty 
And that is a penalty for me. And then and, and then there's the stuff on Semi Ajayi that went on in the box, all, all of this unsurprisingly involving Luke O'Neill, who um I, my, my father described him as, as something of a master of the dark arts, the kind of player you love if he plays for you, but hate if, you do, if he doesn't. And I, and I thought that was absolutely spot on, to be honest with you. Uh, but he was he was dragging um, Semi Ajayi down. There was one where we clipped it uh, clipped it back in after a second for a second phase of a set piece, and Ajayi was trying to go through, and I thought he pulled him back. I thought I, I thought to be honest, he probably knew, found out at half time he'd he'd made a mistake with our penalty and was therefore not going to give us one in a million years second half because the daft thing is I thought there was maybe three penalty shouts that we had second half that were better penalty shouts than the one we got how Robson Carney made a convincing case for it being a penalty for the one that we actually got given saying that it was actually the tra- trailing leg that, that took out John Swift and made him fall to the ground but yeah I was I was a bit unsure on, on that one and I was in a similar camp for for quite a few of them, to be honest, they were. I think there was quite a lot of fifty-fifty ones that, well, get given half the time and, and don't the other half. So, but just to say on that, Pete, it, it, I wouldn't mind that if the ref let had let stuff go outside of the penalty areas. But I felt he refereed the game differently inside the box to outside the box, and I know a lot of refs do that, but I don't understand why there are not a different set of rules. But outside the box to inside the box, there's, there's there's not different laws of the game do not apply outside the box to in, inside the box, and I didn't understand why he refereed the game differently because he blew up for every little foul outside of the box, but inside the box he let an awful lot go, um, and I think you pick one, either you're giving everything and you're giving everything inside the box as well as outside of it, or you are being lenient, in which case that applies outside the penalty area as well. Yeah, it's the um, consistency that's the frustrating thing because I can kind of accept the referees being poor, but it's it's when they're inconsistent that it's it's most frustrating. Um, at the same time, we shouldn't shouldn't just be relying on on pen, potential penalties to get us wins. Um, I think you know, first thing you've got to look at the players and the performance there rather than than looking towards the referee um, because. Yeah, there's a few that where we could have had penalties, but I don't. Th- well, in my opinion, there weren't any just stonewall penalties. But yeah, as I say, I think you've got to look at the players first rather than just just going for the referee. Oh, absolutely, and and just just uh, just to reiterate the point I said at the start of that, I am in no way, shape, or form blaming the referee for us losing that game today. I'm just I'm just making a more general point that I find refereeing in this division inconsistent and genuinely quite poor on a fairly regular basis. And uh, and I just wish referees could go into games with a more consistent approach because I feel like today, for example, I mean, Jason Malumbi has done a great job to play his regular game after being booked so early on. I, 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 I felt he hurt our press a little bit by booking those three players of which two of them, I didn't think he needed to book. And I thought, but again, the inconsistency there is, is, is on show when it takes him 70 minutes to book a Sunderland player when the, the they made just as many bookable challenges as we did. I am not for one second saying we lost today because of the referee. I can't make that clear enough. That is not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is I find the officiating in this division incredibly inconsistent and incredibly frustrating. Yeah, the um, the one, the Malumbi's challenge, I personally wouldn't want that to be a foul and a yellow, but I can kind of understand it while it was. Um, and it, it tends to be... With the way that the laws are applied at the minute, it's just been a very strong challenge. He clearly won the ball. He just won it with a lot of force. But I think after just after Swift got booked there, I think it was their central midfielder, Ekwell, made a, a challenge with similar force and probably not quite as strong, but didn't win any of the ball. I think it was on furlong down down our right wing and play went on. Referee played advantage and eventually came back to the player and just told him to calm down rather than booking him. And that's kind of the consistently consistency that we're we're talking about if you're going to book a player for one, then you know if an opposition player makes a, a similar challenge, then you'd expect a yellow card for for as well. What is a similar challenge? But that was kind of what was missing today. Absolutely. Well, moving on from from that, and I, I just want to focus in on a couple of players um, because I mean may, maybe it's important that we finish today on a relatively positive note, and I do think there were some positive performances out there. One player that we were 
deeply critical of uh, after the Rotherham game for very good reason was Semi Ajayi, who had an absolutely appalling game that day. Uh, we we did say after the QPR game actually that we felt he'd been he'd been much much better in in that game, and whilst he had one foray into midfield, which was just before one of the goals where he does give the ball away. And I did think he made a poor decision in in his pass. You can't really blame the goal on him as a result of that, because there was a lot of football played between Ajay giving the ball away and the ball ending up in the back of our net. But he did make a mistake there, but I'm not going to hang draw and quarter him for that because Pete, I thought I thought he had a very very good game today, and 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 you you highlighted how in particular he he made Barr's life a living hell, and he didn't really get a didn't really get a sniff, did he? Uh, Barr, you could you could almost go as far as to say that he made Barr sheepish. Yeah, and I wouldn't be surprised if Jai's followed him home as well because he, he stuck within an inch of him for the the whole of that first half and for the second part of the second half that Barr played, he would just seem to follow him wherever he wherever he went, if he dropped into deeper areas when Sunderland were building up and want to receive it there, then Ajay was right up behind him and, and pressuring him and winning the ball back. And when he was making runs in behind, Ajay was shoulder to shoulder. He, he's, he's somewhat shepherded Bar. <laughs> shepherded him, yeah. I'm not letting these go, mate. I've got a, I've got a lot more if you need them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and he, um, but yeah, he was, he definitely came out on, on top of that battle and I thought he did, did really well against it. And, his passing seemed to be a bit better than it had been in recent weeks. Um, the long diagonal balls that he plays towards Downs ending Grant seemed to be a bit more accurate. And yeah, on the whole, it was just a, a better performance than we've seen from him in recent weeks. And we need more from him, don't we? Because, I mean, we, we've we've seen how he is when he's off it and he, he does cost us games, but he can be a real asset. But he can be a real asset getting us up the field as well when he's on it. Yeah, because he, he can carry the ball out in defence well. And when he gets it right, is the long diagonals that he, he likes to try can be very useful, especially with the, the height that Townsend's playing with at the minute. He's really getting forward and, well, especially in the first half, there was quite a few times where he'd find himself unmarked and free to receive that long ball and just really helps us get up the pitch and get into the final third and, and create moves from there. And the other one that I wanted to talk about, Pete, and and I, interestingly, I uh, I was gonna I'd got this noted down to uh, to to, to discuss. Um, uh, bef- uh, before uh, we, we we sort of like came on uh, came on air, and before I actually saw your tweet, but I, I noticed that you put a tweet out talking about the link up between Swift and Townsend, because it is noticeable that uh, that Townsend has got a lot higher in the last few games, much much higher. And he seems to be becoming a real threat for us, which is great because we need that. But the uh, uh, and, but he still seems to get some stick, and also on top of that, John Swift. I don't understand why there are still some some people, some fans, who think he saunters through games. That that um, I, I saw somebody tweeted after the after I think it was the QPR game. John Swift might as well have been sat next to uh, sat next to me in the Smethwick end or something like that. And I was just like, what? We watching the same game because I look at every uh, look at everything he does he, today. Four key passes, the most in 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 the team. Um, I'll be honest; I haven't got the data for this uh, for this game. Um, but there's an interesting because FB Ref takes a little bit of time to put the game data up. But there's an interesting uh, metric that they that they have, which is called um, actions leading leading to shots. And it basically takes into account the um, the last two actions before uh, before a shot. Um, so shot creating actions is basically the last two actions that uh, that are before uh, before before a shot. And John Swift, over the course of the season, has 169 shot creating actions. That's 5.21 shot creating actions per game. So John Swift on average, when he's playing creates over five shots per game to put that in perspective, the only players, the only players who get anywhere near that kind of number, because everybody else is at best at two point something, except for Jed Wallace, who's on 3.35 per game. And, 
this might surprise some people. Grady Dean Garner is better at some stuff than you think he might be. Grady Dean Garner's sh- uh, shot creating actions is at 3.78 per 90 as well. Without John Swift in the team, we have a lot less shots on goal. It's that simple. And whilst shots aren't everything, because I realize you can take shots from everywhere and each shot has a very different value attached to it. The bottom line is, as we've said today about Brandon Thomas Asante, if you don't have shots, you don't score goals. And John Swift makes us have shots, which gives us a better chance of winning games, Pete. And I just think that they're two players, Swift and Townsend, that... From some sections of the support, I feel like are going underappreciated. I think John Swift makes us tick. I think without John Swift, we struggle to have a route to goal. And I think without Connor Townsend, I think we struggle to have any width because whilst Jed does get us some width, he does like to drift inside from time to time as well. And Carlin Grant is playing very far in field. He doesn't like to go and get chalk on his boots. I just think they're two really important players for us, and I'm not sure it's necessarily always being appreciated. Yeah, Swift um, created four chances today and had an expected assist of not through two, which is you know relatively high. Um, and over the whole season, I think he's got one of the highest number of expected assists in the whole league, which is yeah just kind of shows his creativity. It's, it just takes into account kind of where you're passing the ball to, and it takes out the uh, the luck of your striker finishing the chance that you've created, the actual assists need. Like if you pass a ball to... You could square a ball to a striker and it could be an open net to put the ball into and he miss kicks it. And because of that, you don't get an assist. But with expected assists, you know, you still get the value value there, which is why it's so useful. But as I say, John Swift is, is up there with the league leaders in terms of expected assists. So, yeah, he's been very creative um, and he scored goals for us as well. So... I struggle to see what, how he gets too much criticism. Um, I think he's involved in the press as much as he should be. Um, is it just think... is it what what I like to call Chris Brunt syndrome, where when a player actually makes the game look quite easy and doesn't feel the need to canter around like a headless chicken, that people think that naturally the the leap people take is they must be lazy, and it's not. Brunty hit the ground he covered. He beat he he beat just about everybody on that data every single game, but because Chris had a wonderful, languid, classy style about him, people he used to get labelled lazy by fans. I remember this. You know, I was at the club at the time, just you know, being with 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 my with my housemate being the club analyst, showing me data sheets and showing uh, showing me GPRS data, going. Why are people saying Brunty's lazy when he is anything but? And I feel like it's it's a bit the same with Swift. Yeah, it, it doesn't help. We were talking about it the other week about how kind of playing styles and movement styles can often help people form opinions on players where and it's more of a bias rather than actually being true. And it, yeah, it's probably partly the case for Swift. But also, but I mean, when we're set up as a defence, he's often part of a front two as in a kind of four four two shape and. So I think he he kind of starts the press quite well and and forces the opposition into kind of the areas where we want them, you know, shutting off parts of the pitch just to make the press a bit easier. And I think he does his fair share of work off the ball. So I definitely don't think he's lazy. And when we do have the ball, it's you kind of want him to to be relatively static in a way. You want the players around him making the runs and him kind of finding the passes. So yeah, maybe that doesn't help him. But I I mean today I think he I thought he was very good. Um, I think he picked up balls, the ball in good areas, and he, yeah, he received the the highest number of progressive passes for us. So um, he helped us get forward with his movement, movement and finding kind of pockets of space to to pick the ball up and allow us to play forward. Yeah, he had the highest um, expected threat, um, and was just yeah, I thought he had a, a good game. Um, and Townsend has been been good going forward for the last couple of weeks. He's, he's finding himself in really advanced areas and. He seems to be able to take on his man quite effectively in those areas and, and get crosses in, of which I mean we didn't get on onto the end of them. He's won us quite a few penalties as well, Pete, which is worth mentioning. Yeah, I think we spoke about that last week. He just seems to be able to get his body in front of the opposition just as they're about to to try and play the ball and win his stonewall penalties. But I was going to say, I think it was him. I think it was Townsend that put in the cross for that managed to find his just go all the way through. Um, and Brandon Thomas Santi couldn't quite react quick enough to get onto the end of it. 
the back post, but he does put in some some really good deliveries when he gets to high areas, and I think it is allowing Grant to to be a bit more comfortable on the pitch because we've got Townsend occupying the more of the wide space than Grant has to, and he can drift inside and find space to get his shots off. Important, I felt to uh, to finish on some positives there because you know it is always a a depressing day when uh, when the, the Albion get themselves into a position to do something in the playoffs and then go and get uh, go and get beaten. But I think you, you said it beforehand, Pete. It was an extremely even game. It was one that could have gone either way. Unfortunately, due to a couple of moments of real, real quality from Sunderland, which we didn't have in in our play, a, a clinical moment which we were lacking today. It's it's gone against us. Let's hope that's not the case on Wednesday against Sheffield United because it's worth noting we did we we did have a free defeat we did have a free defeat like because because we had two games in hand if we took 9 points from those 12 we make we made the playoffs that's still the case it just means it's got to be 9 from 9 now we've used our free defeat up let's hope that we can get the points that we need against Sheffield United and keep the ball rolling as always with West Bromwich Albion it's the hope that kills you until we will be back, of course, after the Sheffield United game on Wednesday. As we've said all the way along, we will do game by game pods for as long as uh, this season matters. We really hope that carries all the way to the end of the season at Swansea and hopefully beyond. We'll be, ho- we hope to be doing playoff pods, but let's not get ahead of ourselves. We're off the back of a defeat today. So we take our medicine. We move on to Wednesday and we will speak to you after that game. Until then. Thanks for listening and of the baggies. Albion have certainly been sharing the goals around this season. They're well into double figures now for different championship goal scorers. So why not take a leaf out of their book and do some sharing of your own with a McNugget share box? Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. You in? At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable! Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely and control vehicle at all times. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.